It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This is another one of those episodes where I'm recording at literally 1 a.m. I was planning to record this week's episode tomorrow, but I got struck with this moment of, wow, like maybe this could be an interesting podcast topic. (laughs) So I'm going to dive in and see where it goes. This also may be a little tangential as usual. In fact, that's something I brought up on a brand new project that I'm doing outside of this show. One of the many projects I've taken on is a daily live stream show that broadcasts to my YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, which I'm experimenting with, and LinkedIn all at once. It's really cool. And my show is about Web3. I have dabbled in talking about that here on the show. And I have said that I may talk more about Web3. There's a specific guest I want to bring on to discuss this. But for the most part, I intend to keep it separate until Web3 becomes more commonplace. And for a little context, we are currently in what's referred to as Web2 and transitioning into Web3, which is composed of things like cryptocurrency and NFTs and the metaverse and the blockchain in general. A lot of terminology that I think gives people anxiety and confusion. So I just today or yesterday technically started daily show in which I'm going to share similarly to how I do on this show, but through live video and just talk about what I'm learning and engage with people. And I'm really excited about it. But I said on that show, the whole reason I'm bringing this up right now is because I'm trying to own up to the fact that my brain works differently. And I also feel a bit confused and unsure of what exactly is going on in my brain. Earlier tonight, I was thinking of doing like a brain scan or something. I really want to get to the root of it. I'm like, what is going on in my head? Another thing I'm really excited to share, hopefully will be interesting to you, will be the results on my sleep study that I did just about a month ago. It's taking a while for the results to go into my doctor and I have an appointment in a few weeks. And I hope that it'll make for an interesting episode, but I'm also prepared for the sleep study to not give me a ton of data. And here I am on a tangent. Let me circle back to... (laughs) before I go into a completely different point, which has nothing to do with the topic for this episode, by the way. But it will kind of all come full circle, hopefully. On my new series called Web3 with Whitney, I mentioned how I can get tangential and that's just how my brain tends to work. And I find myself trying not to get tangential. But isn't that how most conversations are? My aim with this show is for you to feel like you're listening to a friend and you're not being lectured to or listening to someone super polished. And I think this is also part of getting uncomfortable, right? It is uncomfortable for me to not be polished. And I've learned to let go of that over the years. But there's still this vulnerability that I sense and this fear that people aren't going to like my podcast or my other work because it's too long and all over the place. you know. And as much as I love platforms like TikTok, I actually struggle on there because I feel like I have to edit so much and I have to plan so much and it just takes so much mental energy. So thoughts like this have led me to consider getting a brain scan or examination done. In fact, I did like a free quiz tonight. I think it's the Amen Clinic. Is that Daniel Amen? Amen Clinics, yes. And I didn't realize this, but you can do this like free brain quiz or something. And the Amen Clinic, if you didn't know about this, is really well-established and respected. And so I was really excited about... I don't even know where on the website you can find it, but I found a link to that quiz somewhere else. 
So I will try to remember to include that for you if you're curious, because the results I got seem to be make a lot of sense for me in my brain. And if you're curious, let me pull that up for you, because maybe this will inspire you to do the same quiz. Let's see. You can download it as a PDF. It's called a brain health assessment. And everybody, you know, gets different results and you get these custom descriptions of your brain. So I got the results of a brain type 11. And these individuals are often take charge people who won't take no for an answer. I kind of fall into that. But because I'm a people pleaser, I do take no for an answer sometimes because I get uncomfortable with people pushing back against me. Like sometimes it depends on the circumstance and how confident I am. So I don't know if that's the best description. Brain type 11 individuals tend to be strong-willed, tenacious, persistent, and sometimes stubborn. That's me for sure. They also tend to struggle with worry, have trouble sleeping, and like things to be done a certain way. And I promise I will circle back to the sleep study in a moment. Often have increased activity in the front part of the brain in an area called the anterior cingulate gyrus. I don't know, gyrus. A-C-G is the shorter way to, to call that. It is thought of as the brain's gear shifter. It helps people go from thought to thought or move from action to action. It's involved with being mentally flexible and going with the flow. When the ACG is heightened in activity, usually during lower levels of serotonin, people can have problems shifting attention, which can make them persist, even when it may not be in their best interest to do so. I mean, maybe that explains why I'm recording a podcast at 1 a.m. when I was actually about to go to bed. I took my sleep herbs that I love and those actually came from a previous podcast guest and I'm completely blanking on the name of that, but I will link to it in the show notes at wellevator.com because those supplements have been working really, really well for me, but obviously not well enough that I can remember the name right off the top of my head. So I take those about an hour before I go to bed. I took those about 30 minutes or so, so I'm probably going to get sleepy as I record. Maybe this will make a shorter episode. Probably not. But this assessment may explain like why my brain often like does things that are not in my best interest. I mean, I guess anybody could say that about themselves, but I've definitely noticed this. Like my brain tends to work in ways that like I don't feel like are ideal. I'm curious, do you feel this way about yourself? The more I study things like this, the more I think, wow, like either A, this is very universal and a lot of people feel that way, or B, I've gone my whole life thinking that other people think the same way that I do and that might not be the case. And the more awareness I build around my thought processes, actually I've found that if I share that with other people, they'll respond to me in a way that indicates that they don't think like me. And sometimes that can make me feel really lonely or unique in an unpleasant way, if that makes sense. I'm so grateful for the recent guests that came on the show to talk about autism and ADHD. Uh, Corey is her name from, it was actually last week's episode. And that really gave me a little bit more confidence about my brain. But a lot of the things that I've learned have been self inquiry and research and self-assessments, just like the one I'm reading to you. And I just would rather somebody else do a deep assessment on me. So that's why I've been casually thinking about going to the Amen Clinic. The last time I looked into it, I remember it being very expensive. But part of me thinks like it may be worth it. And if I can save up, use a payment plan, something like that, maybe it would be a life-changing thing. I would hope so. I remember it being like somewhere between 1,000 to 2,000, maybe closer to 3,000. I don't know. I couldn't easily find the numbers. I'm at the point where I want to just like do an exploratory call with Amen Clinic because wouldn't it be interesting to see like a brain scan? And in fact, in the assessment, they say that the scans of individuals with brain type 11 often show heightened activity in the anxiety centers of the brain. This is often due to lower levels of the neurotransmitter GABA, which helps calm the brain. And in fact, GABA is in the supplement that I've been taking. 
People with this brain type tend to be motivated towards a goal. They can feel intense pleasure, but also struggle with feeling anxious or nervous, which causes them to be more cautious and reserved, but also more prepared. That really describes me to a T. My anxiety is something that I feel like has been there in ways that I didn't even fully understand. When I was in college, I was struggling really with my mental health. And that was the first time that I went to therapy and actually saw a psychiatrist. I remember my mental health feeling so intense that I was considering dropping out of college, which is crazy to me now, like because as this describes, very determined, goal-oriented. I enjoyed a lot of elements of college, but I felt like my mental health was in a decline and I felt panicky. I remember even specific places that I was at in my dormitory feeling that way. And I happened to have this incredible psychiatrist who guided me through that and gave me a lot of tools. But at the time, it all felt like it was pointed towards depression. So I identified as someone who was struggling with depression. And then I became committed to finding natural ways to work through that. And I felt like I kind of overcame it. And then in recent years, I started to recognize how much anxiety I have. And the more I reflect on it, I see the thread through for so much of my life. And that's actually been really interesting as I've tried to learn more about my sleep issues. And I don't know how much I've gotten into this in the podcast, but if I have, it's been a while. So I'll give you a summary. One thing that's extremely unique about me statistically is that I am a sleepwalker. (laughs) And most of the time when I tell people about this, they're like so intrigued and like curious or taken aback and also nervous because I tend to only talk about my sleepwalking when I'm sleeping in the same room or home as somebody. And it generally comes up because I get nervous that I'm going to do something that will make somebody concerned or uncomfortable. So generally what it manifests as is me waking up in the middle of the night, usually about 90 minutes into my sleep. I've tracked it and it also lines up with most data around sleepwalking. It happens in that 90 minute period, like the stage that your brain goes into before sleep. And my brain, apparently, there's maybe something not activating it that keeps me asleep. And in fact, GABA is something that I've come across a number of times, this neurotransmitter, because that's somehow involved with this process. So I think taking those herbal supplements, which are relatively new for me, are helping because I haven't noticed sleepwalking in uh, at least like a week or so. But that's part of what's interesting about this is I sleepwalk so regularly now that when I don't sleepwalk, it's noticeable. I even have gone to the length of recording myself on video. I have this night vision camera and I haven't done that in a while. That in itself gives me anxiety. (laughs) Just thinking about it in this moment, I'm like, ugh. I really don't want to do that, but it helps me track because sometimes I don't remember sleepwalking. But oftentimes I do. This is why I have to tell people when I visit them because I'll yell in the middle of the night. So it's often coupled with sleep talking where I'll get up and scream, I'll thrash around, I might like speak really loudly, and then I'll sometimes walk around and do something. And usually it's related to like a panic. And it's so frustrating and it's mentally exhausting. I would love to not do this anymore. I got used to it for a huge chunk of my life. I accepted it. But at this stage, it's just like, I don't want to do it. And I wish I could stop it. I used to also be resistant to taking medication. But at this point, I would gladly take medication if that could help. As long as there were no major side effects to the medication, that wouldn't be worth it. But there have been times where I've hurt myself. In fact, just maybe a couple weeks ago, I had the craziest experience of jumping out of the bed and running across the bed and falling to the ground. And I did it with such speed and force that like, I thought I had hurt myself pretty badly, but the next day, it wasn't quite as bad as I thought in the moment. But I woke up through this incident and was like really nervous that I had like 
injured my toe. Like I fell on my foot in a weird way. And like, I remember my heart pounding and thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't get help for my sleepwalking, I'm going to majorly injure myself one day. And that is so scary. That's happened to me only a few times in my life. And I've been sleepwalking off and on throughout my whole life, but it's been the past probably 20 to 25 years that it's been really extreme. And that's just nuts. Even that number, I'm like, wow. But it just kind of started to get worse. Anyways, I really hope the sleep study tells me something and I will definitely keep you posted. I'm not even quite sure why I got into this. I guess I've been just thinking about my brain and how it works and why it does the things that it does. And I just wish there were more resources. But because such a small percentage of the population has sleepwalking behavior or sleep disorder, as it's called, like there's just not a lot of tools. And what's interesting, the more that I've researched ADHD and autism, especially after the episode with Corey, I definitely fall on the spectrum of both in terms of assessments. And I've done multiple assessments and tons of research. And it's crazy because no one's ever pointed that out to me. I had to discover that myself. And even like I said, I had a wonderful psychiatrist that I saw when I was in college who I don't remember her pointing out anxiety. You know, like it felt like it was all about depression. Now, maybe her training at the time that's what she knew. You know, this is my point is the tools for diagnosis are not even that great. And something interesting I've learned is a lot of the diagnosis and evaluations for things like ADHD and autism are based around men and also based around specific age ranges. So if you're a woman, your brain is biologically different in a lot of ways. It's to my knowledge. I am not a brain scientist by any means, but from my understanding, there are nuances in our brains based on our gender. And so like there should be more tools that include everybody, right? But also age and history and genetics and experiences, like so many factors. So it becomes really hard to get a diagnosis and you can collect this information to try to like self-diagnose yourself or get different opinions from doctors, but you may just continuously feel unsure about it. That's at least been my experience. And that's tough sometimes, you know, but I'm trying to own it. And I'm trying to not shy away from the things that make me different. And, you know, the sleepwalking thing, like, it seems kind of like a fun fact. <laughs> so I enjoy to an extent telling people about it. But there have also been times where it feels incredibly isolating, just like the symptoms or elements of ADHD and autism that I've discovered about myself. I've now reflected back on so much of my life and been like, wow, like I didn't even fully realize how alone or different I felt. And I learned to mask so much about it about myself and change and try to be this people pleaser that I've lost a lot of sight of who I am. In fact, I can pull up some notes. One thing I found interesting as an exploration around all of this is this term called Aspian women. There's this woman, Tanyan Marshall. I'll link to this really popular blog post and like self-diagnosis that she created, which for the way that I think it is so poorly organized and I thrive in organization and, and structure, right? So if you see this blog post and you're like, what the heck is this? This is really weird. I'm in the same boat, but it was worth going through. So it took me a while to read it. It's so long and in depth, but I learned a lot of things about myself. So whether or not I'm actually falling on these spectrums as I've started to conclude, it's still teaching me so much, right? So there were a number of things like in that specific blog post, the author breaks it down into different elements of your life, like career and work, right? So she touches upon things like social exhaustion, finding difficulty, attending and participating in staff meetings and work events. I really struggle with that. I've struggled with that my entire professional career. I'm sure I struggled that with that in school and some or college in some elements. 
But I thought there was something wrong with me and I had to just push through it. And it wasn't until recently where I've actually learned and centered my life in creating more boundaries. And that's actually what inspired me to start recording tonight. So hopefully I'll get to the main thing I want to talk about tonight, but the tangent has taken me in a different direction. (laughs) But struggling to cope with work and employment environments, again, like there was a couple elements of that where I thought, oh, well, everybody struggles with that. Like who wants to go to work? And in a lot of ways, that's true. You know, especially during COVID, we've seen people shift their perceptions and want to work from home and people not agreeing with the hours that a lot of jobs require. And, you know, it all depends. It's very relative. But I definitely thought that most people felt the same way. And the more that I've looked into this, I've realized actually some people are completely fine with coping at work environments. Like it was very extreme with me, but I kind of pushed it down and tried to like change myself. I get very stressed if I have a lot of work to do in a short amount of time. I get frustrated and stressed if I have to do too many things at once. I also try very hard to avoid making mistakes and forgetting things and pleasing others, as I mentioned. A lot of those are characteristics. Getting into social and friendships, there was like ongoing, like (laughs) I guess I didn't even realize how much I struggled with social interactions. This was something that I have identified as being introverted for so long. You know, once I learned about what an introvert was, I was like, oh, that's me. But now that I'm looking at it through the lens of being on the spectrum of neurodivergent, I'm like, I don't actually know if that's introversion. It might be that I just have major preference for things like one-on-one social interactions and close friendships. I'm also someone who's generally lean towards friendships with men because I found them easier to understand than women, which is another thing. Needing a lot of time away from people. This ties in and I'm going to pause here. I could go on and on. There's so many points from this Aspian woman article that I'm going to share with you. So I can circle back or say this for another episode or let you explore that on your own. But what actually inspired me to start recording tonight does tie into that point of needing time away from people, getting stressed and anxious in group work situations and social groups, sometimes feeling like social interactions are really tough because I'm overanalyzing everything that I wanted to say or should say, wish I had said. And that is incredibly draining and causes me to spiral and like a lot of anxiety. I deeply dislike social chit-chat or like superficial conversations. There's a term that's completely escaping me in this moment. But anytime I'm just like chatting about nonsense or something that, as is described here, that lacks a function, I try to avoid that at all costs. That has actually made socializing very tough for me. I've adapted. I've learned to do it. I've masked myself. If you see me in a social situation, a lot of people tell me that I look like I'm extroverted and I look like I'm comfortable, but I've learned to be deep down inside. I feel deeply uncomfortable, very anxious. I'm looking for an escape. Even talking about it right now is giving me anxiety, to be honest. And I felt a major difference because I'm usually the only person who wants to leave a social function early. And what's interesting is I still want to go. I still put myself in those situations over and over again, maybe hoping that they'll be different or maybe hoping that I'll be in the right mood or maybe hoping that they'll be worth it. But I can tell you every single time I go to a party, I feel like I can only last five minutes unless they're super close friends of mine, unless there's, again, like a function to it, a purpose to the party. It feels like I don't have a big tolerance for it. And I've brushed this off about myself for so long. But reading it in that context, I'm like, whoa, like, I think there's a big difference between like how our brains work and like our preferences or our personality and all of these things. And I'm also seeing how much I've been conditioned and pressured and shaped through the way that I was parented, the education I had, the friends that I had, and me lacking a lot of understanding about these things. I trained myself to do things differently, 
And I also carried around all this shame and anxiety because I felt so different, because I felt like I should be feeling differently about things. And the more that I look into this, the more I think, wow, what a shame. And to use that word very differently, right? Like I've been, what a shame that I felt so much shame. What a shame that other people do too. And this is not just about me. I'm sharing this because maybe you feel the same way. And I know many others do. One thing that's really interesting about that Aspian Women post is just reading through the comments. When you scroll down, I don't know if you're like me, but when I see a lot of text, I'll go over to the sidebar and like scroll down. And you know how some browsers or maybe most browsers, they'll show you like where you're at on the page in relation to how long it is in that Aspian Women blog post. It shows that the page, it looks almost never ending. And so I clicked on this little, with your cursor, you can click and drag and like skim through the whole page. If you do that, you'll find that yes, the blog post is quite long or the page of this website is long, but most of the length is due to all the comments. And I read some of the comments and instantly felt less alone. I was like, wow, there are so many people who has similar brains than me. And again, on this spectrum, on so many different levels and extremes, and I felt simultaneously included, but then like scared and confused because while I identify with a lot of the things in that assessment and other assessments I've taken, there are a number of things that I don't. And that just led me to be unsure about myself, you know, and it's just like, it's tough. But here's how the main thing I want to talk about today that ties into all of this is like, how do you cope? And how do you move through life when you feel different, or you know, and you're different, and you're confident about it, but maybe the world isn't very accommodating. For example, one thing I saw earlier today on TikTok was a video of a grocery store that has, forget what, how they phrased it, like sensory aware hours, meaning that specific days of the week and hours of that day, they change the lighting, they turn down the sounds, they don't play any music, there are less people in there. And that is designed for people that are very sensitive to sounds and visuals and other people and all these things that can cause a lot of anxiety, they can go and shop more comfortably. And I'm watching this video thinking, oh my gosh, like maybe this explains why I feel so anxious at the grocery store. Like I've had moments shopping where I feel like a deep sense of panic. And again, I'm like thinking oh, it's just my mood or, oh, I'm just anxious about something else. But the more that I become aware around how I'm reacting to sensory experiences, the more I think, whoa, like I've just learned to cope and mask all of those things, but they've probably been bothering me my whole life. And I'm so grateful that there are stores, I don't know if there are any in my area, but there are places that are being more aware and inclusive and I hope that we keep going more and more towards that direction. That's another reason I want to speak out more about my experience and bring on more guests to talk about this and ask you too to reach out to me and tell me about your experiences because I want to learn about it all and maybe collectively we can make a bigger difference. So earlier tonight, right before I started recording, I was thinking about this big event that's coming up. Jason and I have talked about it off and on on the podcast over time. And it's one of my favorite things to do. Now, COVID has changed it a bit because it hasn't actually, this big trade show has not happened for two years now. So it happens every March in Anaheim, California, which is near Disneyland and not that far from Los Angeles. And it's been something I've gone to for, I think, over 10 years. Well, in 2020, that event coincided with when everything started to go into lockdown. So they canceled the event last minute. And then they didn't have it in 2021. So 2020 is what I meant. 2021 was last year. They didn't have it. But they did have their other event, which is on the opposite coast in Philadelphia. I went to that 
And that was September 2021. And I went because at that time, I was feeling more comfortable with COVID. So I thought like, all right, I'm going to go do this. I really miss going to this event. And then when I heard that they were bringing back this event in Anaheim for March 2022, I thought, oh, of course I'm going to register. Like I've missed going to this event. And if they're going to hold it, like it must be okay COVID wise. Now, in my opinion, COVID's constantly changing. So who knows? It's almost two months away. I'm trying to stay very flexible, but I'm also trying to figure out how to operate in a way that best supports me. The more I've learned about these things, you know, the way my brain works, it's revealing like this buried side of myself, I suppose. It's been revealing needs and desires that I've had that I've shoved so far down that I haven't even been fully aware of them. I've had signals of them. So in the context of this event, it's a really great example of how much I've masked and how I no longer want to do that. This trade show before COVID was about 90,000 people attending it. And it was about four days long, nonstop from, I think, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then there would be parties and events. So I would wake up, I don't know, around 7 or 8 a.m., get myself ready. If you know me by now, I don't really love wearing makeup and doing my hair. This event is the one of very few exceptions, especially these days where there's a lot less social events in person. I will do my hair and makeup and pick out clothes and like plan so much about my appearance because I feel more confident. And I'm around a lot of people I know, uh, people that I feel like I kind of want to impress. So I want to like convey my best self. And even though I hesitate to even use that terminology, because I know my best self is not about my appearance. It's actually probably part of the masking that I need to do where I'm like looking for a way to feel comfortable, which is an interesting thing to examine. Like I talked about in last week's episode, how I wonder why people wear makeup and do their hair and enjoy it. And I'm curious if there's like a deeper reason. Is it that they truly enjoy it or they've like learned to enjoy it because society rewards them for enjoying it? And that's something I've had to examine a lot myself. And the more I do, the more I realize I don't care about makeup and hair and all of these things that I find to be superficial. But I also can see why there are times that I feel more comfortable presenting myself that way. But it's literally a mask, right? When I put makeup on my face, it's masking what my skin looks like underneath in my eyes and my lips. When I do my hair a certain way, I guess that's not really masking. I just, I like to curl my hair when I go to these events. Normally my hair's up in a bun and I could care less. But when I go to that event, I wear my hair down and my hair is all wavy and I'll pick out specific clothing that flatter my body versus at home. Like who cares what I look like? You know, and I pick up shoes that are really comfortable. I give so much deep thought to this. And since I've been going to this trade show for many years, I develop strategies to help me get through them. And looking back, I've noticed so many things. Like this event to me is the greatest example of my brain, but also my coping mechanisms because the event is just so chaotic with tens of thousands of people there. There's also time pressure because even though it's four days long, there are so many things to do and see and I'll get major FOMO. So I try to do everything I possibly can, which has required me to create in-depth plans. So much so that I wrote a whole ebook about this trade show to help other people. And I meticulously went through like every possible strategy. And every year I went to this event, I'd like conceptualize more things. And for many years, I thought like, wow, what a great thing that I did. Like, I'm so organized. And I organized events and meetups. And I would spend all this time and effort crafting them and getting people there. And people would thank me. And it totally boosted my ego. I felt like, yeah, like I deserve a pat on the back for all this. But in this moment, I'm looking at all that behavior and thinking, wow, like that's anxiety. (laughs) That is someone who's like, doing everything she possibly can 
to cope with this event, to handle her FOMO, to reduce her FOMO, right? And earlier tonight, as I was anticipating what this event could be in March of 2022, I started feeling all my anxiety come up and I felt like I really need to step back and make sure I actually want to go. Because I went to the event in September and I could go on and on about the decision making, but I won't go through that in this moment unless if you ever want to know something, I'm happy to elaborate. But this is where I feel self-conscious. I'm like, am I oversharing? That's another comment. A common trait of someone who's not neurodivergent is like not knowing when to stop sharing and then feeling self-conscious about the fact that they may have overshared. I go through that all the time. And it's especially hard on a podcast, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm just sitting here talking to myself and recording this, hoping that people enjoy it and not knowing. That's tough. But anyways, so I go to this event in September of last year. And I remember feeling that anxiety, like, again, within five or 10 minutes of being there, but trying so hard to manage it. And one thing that I noticed about myself very profoundly is I was struggling to interact with people, which kind of defeats the whole point of going to a trade show. That's virtually what you do there. So for a visual for you to paint a picture, if you haven't been to this event before, it's a ton of booths. In fact, depending on the event, like 1,500 to 3,000 exhibitors spread out in huge convention centers on each of the coasts, you know, East Coast and West Coast of the U.S., and then a ton of attendees. Now, the one in September was a lot less, COVID being part of it, but also historically, the East Coast version of this trade show is less attended. So I was hoping like, oh, it's COVID. Everyone's gonna be standing far apart. Like, I don't have to interact with people. I've got my mask on. Like, I felt more comfortable because I was literally masked. But I also wanted to hang out with friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. I wanted to try samples of products. And when I got there, all I wanted to do is like, go be by myself. Like, I was trying to think like, how do I get through this event and experience it with barely interacting with people? And I thought at the time that that was because of COVID. Like I thought, oh, it's just my COVID anxiety. I'm nervous about being in an environment with people. And I'm sure that that was part of it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was like my mask started to come apart or like dissolve during COVID. And this is what where it's really fascinating. It could be that many of us feel out of practice with socializing, but it's also possible that we haven't been in situations where we've had to put up all these coping mechanisms or masks. And if you're like me or anywhere on this spectrum of neurodivergent or somebody that struggles with anxiety, you might have an anxiety disorder clinically, you can probably relate to this. And it's like revealing things about yourself that maybe you've tried to ignore. That's, I guess, the big theme here. So now in this moment, I'm trying to figure out, do I really want to go to an event like that? How does it serve me? And it's scary to question it. And this is one of the lessons too, is if you've done something over and over again every year, if you've done something that you felt like does bring you joy and serves a purpose in your life, but suddenly you're faced with this realization that it's actually been unpleasant in a lot of ways that maybe you weren't willing to admit to yourself. Now, I've known for years that that event drains me. But again, I thought that was because I was introverted. I thought, oh, it's just really tough for me to be around all these people and it drains me and I just need to go home and recharge. But examining it now, I see all the anxiety and I see deep discomfort and that's causing me to think like, A, do I still go to this event? In this moment, I want to say yes, but I don't need to decide for a while. And actually, when it comes to decision making, part of me is hoping that the event is canceled because of COVID. And I've said this before, COVID has given me an excuse that I've craved for social situations like this. And I think a lot of people can relate to last minute cancellations. Like those often feel really good for a lot of people. 
But for me, I think because I've been a people pleaser and I've had FOMO, I often say yes to a lot of things that I don't really want to do. But I do them because I feel obligated. I do them because I'm afraid of missing out on something. And that's a really interesting element that I've been trying to examine for a long time, especially when it comes to this trade show, where when I get there and I'm steeped in this anxious feeling of FOMO, this panicky state of I've got to do everything possible and I can't stop, I can't breathe, I have to just be interacting with people and smiling. And small talk was the term I was looking for. It was just like tons of small talk and like feeling like, you know, there's social etiquette that I have to abide by. All that stuff just is now starting to feel like complete torture to me. Like, why have I put myself through that? And I think right now that I'd done things like that trade show because of like social constructs. I don't know if that's quite the right term, but everybody else is doing it, so I should do it too mentality. Well, that's what you do with the industry. Well, everybody says it's really great and they're having a good time. And that's where it's nuts to examine something like this, that you've just conditioned yourself to believe that you should do something. You've talked to other people and you've allowed yourself to fall into the pressure of it. You've found enough joy in something to cover up for the discomfort. And I guess it's just this big examination because there is no right or wrong answer and there's no absolute answer to this. I don't know in this moment. I find myself feeling completely split. And I think that's a very important thing. And the process of exploring this is ultimately what I'm interested in. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether or not I go to that event. It My career doesn't, it's not making or breaking it. In fact, over the years, that event has become less significant for me. It's actually becoming even harder for me to justify business-wise going there. This year, maybe there's some tie-ins with one of my clients. Again, I like seeing people. But it's also kind of funny because I simultaneously enjoy seeing people that I haven't seen in a while, but also can only handle a few minutes of them. And then I like want to disappear. And I feel like an awful person for saying that. But I feel like what if more of us admitted that? I've actually learned to be more compassionate and accepting of my friends because I often wonder, maybe they feel the same way. Maybe they want me to cancel on them last minute. Maybe they only want to talk for five minutes. Maybe they don't want to hang out. You know, what if we could all just be more honest about our preferences and our energy levels and our brain patterns and behaviors and differences and like just discuss it? We might find that everybody kind of wants the same thing, but it's afraid to admit it because society has conditioned us to believe that we need to act and in a certain way, right? I mean, with that event in particular, it's tricky. You know, in September, I experimented with really trying to avoid small talk. And I started to like cringe when people would say like, so what do you do? Because when you go to a trade show, you're just repeating the same thing over and over again. And that drives me nuts. Like my brain does not enjoy that. Like I wish I could just announce to everybody who I am and what I do, say it once, and then be done. But to go from booth to booth to booth explaining myself is so exhausting. And I would find myself trying to avoid it. Over the years, I've learned all these tactics. Like I would avoid eye contact with people just so they wouldn't ask me that question. I would time things out. I would do the Irish goodbye and like be in the middle of a conversation and then like look for the quickest, you know, opportunity to walk away and like feel like a jerk for not saying goodbye. But like, I was terrified of having to wait any longer to say goodbye, you know? And my friends have called me out for this. And this is probably why I feel guilty. Like my friends think that I am a jerk and I'm rude sometimes. But like, what's more important? You know, this is the other thing that's I think I'm really examining too is who's making all these rules about what's right or wrong and rude and acceptable and professional. A lot of those rules do not work for me. And I don't know if they work for everybody. You know, like, I just wonder how many people are feeling what I'm feeling, but haven't acknowledged it because no one else has acknowledged it. You know, that feeling when you're like in a meeting and 
you really want to say something, but you're afraid that it's inappropriate, but somebody else says it and you're so relieved and you finally feel like you're understood. I have this happen all the time. And sometimes I'm that person. I was actually in a meeting, I think last week, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I just had to share my thoughts. And I was really afraid of expressing how I was feeling because I thought it was going to come across rude or out of line. But actually, it turned out that the majority of the people that I was in this meeting with agreed with me, but none of them said it. And it just made me wonder how many times are we all feeling the same thing or the majority of people or even a few people doesn't even have to be the majority. But like, how many times are we not alone in our desires, but we hold it all together because of social construct? I guess that's the big lesson here. And just encouraging you, if you feel the pull towards figuring yourself out and looking into these things and like really tuning in, what do you want? What do you need? And how does your brain work? Because it isn't just like a choice that you can make a lot of these times. Like your brain may actually work in a specific way that you cannot change. And maybe you don't need to change it. What if you can just accept it and embrace it and be confident with it and say, hey, I'm different or hey, do you feel this way too? And it's okay if somebody doesn't feel the same way. It's okay if you're in a meeting and you say something out of line, right? Hopefully, depends on the context, but at least you had the courage to speak up in case you would allow somebody else or you would inspire somebody else to do the same. That I think more and more is what I want to lean into. Earlier, I mentioned that I started this Web3 series just yesterday. And I asked in that video for anyone watching to reach out to me if they'd enjoyed it, just so I could get a feel for if I should continue doing it. And that in itself is interesting. Something I'm trying to shift is so much in my life, I've done something only if I have positive feedback. If I get negative feedback on something, I usually either don't want to do it or I'll give up or I'll stop. If I don't get any feedback, I also will question it. And I'm yearning for somebody to tell me that they like something I did. I'm yearning for someone to give me validation. And I think it's because I've trained myself as a people pleaser to be guided by what other people want and expect of me, what other people like. Now, in some ways, that's nice. Like, I really enjoy collaboration and community. And I think that there's a lot of value in pleasing other people and taking into account how they feel. But it's just been way too extreme for me. And now I'm trying to find the courage to continue doing something if I really want to do it. As long as it's not hurting anyone. If I believe in something, if I really want something, if I feel guided to do something, I'm trying to practice doing it, even if nobody validates it, even if somebody criticizes it, even if no one feels, it feels like no one cares. I'm trying to persist. And that's very tough for me. But deep down, I feel like it's important for the exact reasons that I shared. And tonight, hours after I finished that, first live streaming video, which did not have a lot of viewers last I checked. That's okay. One person I don't think I'd ever heard from before sent me an email and just thanked me for doing the video as a woman because I was talking about things like cryptocurrency and Web3. And she said something along the lines of it being refreshing to hear a woman talk about these things. That was like all I needed to hear. That just made my day. It's like how I feel when someone listens to the podcast and, you know, tells me how it impacted them. Like that moves me forward. Now, again, I don't want that to be the thing to move me forward, but I will acknowledge it makes a huge difference in my life. But the reason that that specific email made a difference is because I was like, oh, yes, I get to help and inspire and be alongside in a lot of ways somebody else. Just like I was describing in a meeting, like when you speak up for something that you feel passionate about and somebody else agrees with it, you are in it together. You are supporting each other. You are lifting each other up. And that to me is one of the greatest experiences. So that's ultimately at the core of this episode. It's acknowledging who we are, 
stripping away our masks, questioning our lives, raising awareness about ourselves, finding the courage to question what we've done and make sure that it's in alignment. And also knowing that it's not just about us, but that when we tap into that authentic side of ourselves, even if it goes against the grain, we may be giving other people the inspiration or perhaps even the permission to do the same. And I think that's a really incredible thing. So if you're feeling that way, either about this episode or something else you've listened to or watched or read, I would love to hear that. I would love to know more about you and how your brain works and what your preferences are. What is the last two years revealed to you? Have you changed? I imagine you have. So I want to know in what ways have you changed? How have you shifted and evolved? And what have you transitioned into? Where are you going? And, you know, life is a constant unfolding and shifts. And sometimes it just comes out in very profound, obvious ways. And sometimes it's more subtle. So anything you'd like to share, I would absolutely love to hear it from you. You can send me a message on social media. You can find my email. In fact, the fact that that person emailed me after watching my video, I was like, wow, I guess my email is not that hard to find because I don't feel like I did the best job in sharing my email address. So that gave me some comfort that you too could find my email address either on the Wellevator website or anywhere, the Whitney Lauritsen website. And if I can ever do anything to improve upon the whole show, making it easier for you to find things, please let me know. I include as much detail as possible in the show notes, which is at thewellevator.com URL. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Podcast section has transcripts and videos and resources and all sorts of things there for you, as well as the contact information on the website. So hopefully you can easily find it. If not, I'm on social media at Wellevator, as well as at Whit Lauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. Either way you contact me, I would look forward to it. And until then, thank you for listening. There is another episode coming up, of course, on Friday. And this is actually one I have not in this moment recorded yet. So I'm recording it in about 12 hours. So I better go get some sleep. I can be prepared to honor another incredible human being on this show for you. Thank you so much for listening and wishing you all the best with your own journey until we next connect or until you next listen to the show. However that manifests. Until next time, I'm wishing you the absolute best in your life. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.